Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you? Well, good, 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 good morning. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, or maybe you have really bad short-term memory. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here at the church, and it's a privilege of mine to lead our portion of Bible study today. I'm going to continue our series in core values. We're going to be working through some core values. So I don't have one passage from the Bible to read from, but rather we'll have a couple different verses that we'll be able to jump back and forth. And um, those words will be on the screen behind me, so you don't have to try to keep up with me as we go. Um, But it is nice if you have a Bible. So if you have a Bible, that's awesome. If you don't own a Bible, I just feel like I should tell you this, that there's, there's a hardback black Bible underneath the seat around you probably. And if you don't own one, you can take that Bible home with you. Okay, we buy cases of those. They're expensive, right? So if you already own one, don't take another one. You don't need two, right? But um, we, we love to give, give those away. We've bought cases and cases of those Bibles uh, over the years to give them away. So please take one with you. Write your name on it in crayon or whatever you want to do, um, and it belongs to you. It's yours to have. So um, anyways, let's get started. Um, I feel like I want to piggyback a little bit on maybe what Jess was even closing with, this idea of being sent out by God's love. Um, I learned uh, recently that linguists and researchers have looked at language, and they have realized that, that some phrases elicit an emotional response in us. That you can say things to people and it it makes their brains do something funky. They could release endorphins. They can make you feel joy, happiness, sadness, and sorrow. So anyways, these linguists and researchers, they looked at all of the phrases that we have that elicit a response. And then they ranked them in the top three uh, uh, phrases that elicit a response. And it wouldn't shock you to know, and these are in order, that the first one is this. Um, the, the phrase that will bring the most joy and release the most like uh, endorphins in the brain is the phrase, I love you. The second one, in order, is I forgive you. And the third one, my favorite, dinner's ready. <laughs> I didn't make this up. Those are the real top three. Right there, man. I'm telling you, I'm like, that's the words that I live by. I love you. I forgive you. At dinner's ready. But oh my gosh, doesn't the world need to know that they are loved? Yes, yes. So hopefully we'll get to be a church that does that. So all that to say, let's start um, week two of our core values series. Last week we started uh, core values. Uh, Every year about this time, the first of the year, we like to, as a church, just go through some of the things that we anchor ourselves to in the church. Um, This would be a phrase that would be helpful to you, but everything you do in life is driven by the things that you value in life. And the converse is kind of true. You can say all day long that you, you value certain things, but your actions might deceive you. 
For example, you might say, I, I really don't want to spend a lot of money um, on you know, materialistic stuff. I don't want to spend money on entertainment or, or clothes or whatever. And I'm just going to save money, save money, save money. And that's fine. And yet you go to movies every weekend or every Thursday night you're at B-dubs, buy one, get one, anyone. And, and, and so all of that, so your, your actions are deceiving you. you. You say you value saving money, but your actions aren't showing that. And so what we like to do the first part of the year is just to remind ourselves of the values that we have as a church. So last week we talked about the primary driving factor in everything that we do here at the church is Jesus. It's because of him. I assure you, this church started because it, it was first birthed out of the heart of Jesus. When uh, my wife and I and a group of young people started this church some 12 years ago, we were criticized by friends and people that loved us saying things, Jeff, does Decatur really need another church? The answer to that is no, <laughs> of course not, right? But we felt compelled that God was asking us to do this, to start this church. And we've learned over the last 12 years that God has brought a lot of people into this church that wouldn't normally go to church. Maybe you're some of those people. And if you're here, this church is for you, man, I'm telling you. And I've learned over the last 12 years that God used this church to sort of mature me and to grow me. How many people have known me like a long time? How many people are here from the beginning, right? And would admit that I've grown a lot in 12 years, all right? I have one person, two people, thank you. <laughs> is, I don't know if that means you weren't here from the beginning or you don't think I've grown, but I'm telling you, man, I've grown, yes, 100%. And part of that is this, and all of it is because of the work that Jesus has done is what I'm saying. So this week, I want to go through our second core value, and I think this is going to be helpful for a lot of us today, and it's this. It's that growing people change. Growing people change. Next week, we'll do the third one. I won't even tell you what it is till next week, so you got to come back. But growth is a fundamental, fundamental aspect of all life. If something isn't growing, we would say, then we wouldn't call it alive, right? I live next to a park in Forsyth, and um, every fall I watch the trees lose leaves, and um, you know, I'll be walking the dog through the winter, and all the trees look dead to me. And we know, because we live in the Midwest, that the trees will be fine. They're going to come back in the spring. And usually when I'm walking through the park in the spring, we see that. The trees start to bloom. They start to blossom. Little green shoots of leaves come out. Uh, little flowers that will eventually turn into acorns or apples or whatever come on the trees. But every once in a while, I'll see a tree in the park that, that never gets new leaves. And I don't have to wait till next fall or next summer even to say that, church, that tree is dead, rather. I can just look at it and tell that it's dead because it's not growing, it's not showing new life. And the same might be true even for ourselves. And so we wanna say that growing things change, growing people change, living things grow and change. And we can measure all of this growth. We can measure it physically. We probably all grew up in a house that had that door, right? That you measure how tall your kids are. Right? And so every, every year on your birthday, you'd get your granddaughter or your kid and you'd measure their height and put their initials next to it and the date and you'd see them grow. You could measure all of that. We can grow how, um, you can measure how you grow financially. You can check your bank statements, unless you're invested in the stock market and last year was terrible, say amen. Right? No one grew last year, I'm just saying. Um, educationally, you can continue for your degrees. You can go into grad school. Um, you can finish high school. You can go to college or whatever. But here's where we're gonna to go today. You can actually grow spiritually too. I don't think that would surprise any of us in the room. You can grow spiritually, but the problem is it's, it's much harder to measure because it's sometimes difficult to define. 
What is spirituality? What does spiritual growth look like? What, how, how can you measure it if we don't really know what it is? So we first have to, to, to define what spiritual, spiritual growth is and what it looks like. And to do that, we're going to look through the Bible. And we're going to pull, a car, pull apart a couple verses and take a look at them. But know this, that our spiritual walk, for all of us in the room, and no one can escape this, it begins with salvation. So just nod at me if you'd probably agree with that. Yeah, our spiritual walk begins with salvation. Jesus actually talks about this in John chapter 3 when a, a man, a religious person named Nicodemus came to Jesus and was asking questions about the kingdom of God and asking questions about growing. And Jesus says that a man can't inherit the things of, of eternal life. It, man can't gain the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And that's the language that Jesus uses. Now, Nicodemus, like most of us, pushes back just a little bit. And he says, well, how can a person like enter back into his mother's womb to be reborn? And, and missing the aspect that you don't have to be born physically twice, but you're born physically once, right? And then the second birth that we have is called a spiritual, spiritual birth or to be born in the spirit of God. And that's being born again. And this is the metaphor of a childbirth that Jesus uses. And so if we're going to gain an understanding of what spiritual growth looks like, we have to look at that metaphor of, of all of us becoming like babies when we're born again. And we know that babies, right, need a lot of provision. Babies need a lot of stuff. I was in a restaurant not long ago, and I really wanted to help the mom behind me help her baby. So the baby would stop yelling and crying while I'm trying to enjoy my dinner, right? Because babies just need a lot of attention and a lot of provision. And Paul, the apostle, uses similar language that Jesus was using here about being born again when he's addressing issues in the church. Now, let me back up and give you little cliff notes of where we're headed. Uh, the Apostle Paul was a man who came to faith in Jesus, and he traveled around as a missionary, if you will, and he would explain or describe Jesus to a bunch of people. They would come to faith, they would be born again, and little churches would pop up all through the Near East, Asia Minor, up into Turkey, into Greece, into Europe, and all of that stuff. And so one of these churches uh, was in a city called Corinth. And Paul is talking to these, these people about Jesus. They become Christians. He starts a little church for them. He trains them up. He teaches them a little bit. And then Paul, the apostle, leaves and goes to another city and starts another church. And then he leaves and goes to another city and starts another church. And he continues to do that for years. Well, while he's away one time, he catches word that the Christians in Corinth are struggling. They're struggling with things like jealousy and strife, and there's much contention and fighting within the church. And he's like, this is ridiculous. And so he writes them a letter to address those issues. And we call that letter 1 Corinthians. And I want to read something from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And this is the Apostle Paul picking up this metaphor of a child like Jesus was talking about to Nicodemus. He says, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1 and 2. He says, but I, brothers... I could not address you as spiritual people, right? But as people of the flesh, as, what's he say here? As infants in Christ. That he's talking about there is a, a maturity that is available to people to grow up, but these people are still acting like infants. In fact, he says that they are acting like people of the flesh. Not to belabor this point, but when we're born naturally, we're born into the flesh, right? And it just means our natural desires are to serve ourselves, we have fleshy is what the language would, would be. It sounds weird to say fleshy desires. We have carnal desires. We want what we want only. 
And yet when we're born again and the spirit of God comes inside of us, the Bible uses language like we've been given a new heart. And it's not a heart of stone that just desires what the flesh wants, but it's actually a beating heart that beats with the love of God. And it changes who we are. So you can grow to become a spiritual person, but the the Christians in Corinth were acting like carnal, fleshy, hear me, unsaved people. Jealousy, strife, all kinds of wickedness among them. And he says, you're acting like an infant in Christ. And that's expected in infancy, right? We're going to get to that in a moment. When people become Christians, please be careful not to lay too much on them at first, right? They're just getting by. (laughs) Picture them in a diaper if that helps. I have no idea. Like, don't put too much expectation on some of these people. They're just trying not to mess themselves. Say amen. Maybe some of us need diapers. I don't know. But he says, I, I, verse two, I fed you with milk, not solid food. Or some other translations would say meat. When you're young, I could just give you milk, not solid food or meat. For you are not ready for it. And even now, he's saying, it sounds like you're not ready. So all of this verse is pointing to this reality that Paul expects Christians to grow into. Like we expect to grow. We expect to become stronger in our faith and stronger in our prayer and stronger in the things of God. We don't always have to be infants. And, and that is oftentimes a tell for us is when we're acting in such a way that doesn't seem to look like Jesus Christ. And that's what the church in Corinth was acting like. They were acting like carnal people. And so, anyways, Paul continues and he writes to another church in a city called Ephesus. And he also talks about how Jesus, not only does he give us the metaphor of being born again and of a child, but he also tells us that that he doesn't leave us alone to grow on our own. As I mentioned before, children, babies need provision. They need someone to care for them. And Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4 that Jesus himself has given us help. Let me read this in verse 8. It says this. That therefore it says that when he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led a host of, hap- of captives. And this is what I want us to focus on. And he gave gifts to men. What does this mean? Thank you for asking. Read verse 11. It says this, that he, Jesus, gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers, and all of these people, men and women, gifted by God for those specific acts, right, to help, was was given for this reason, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry and for building up the body of Christ, verse 13, until we attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to what? To mature manhood or womanhood here, right, just to become mature. And he says, this is the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So a lot is in that verse. Number one, God does not abandon his children to make it on their own. And there are helps available to you. And he lists some of them, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, shepherds, the whole deal. I think I have a role in in the growth of some of you here right? That's probably why God has called you to this church. Maybe there's something that I say that just helps you understand the Bible better, helps you understand Jesus better. And I'm thankful for that. You can learn a lot on your own. You can probably learn a lot on the internet, although I don't know that I trust the internet these days, anyone, right? But you can come and you can learn. 
And then he says that there's a fullness, a maturity that we can attain. And the metric or the measure of that fullness looks like Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is now the, the standard by which we base our lives upon. And if we're growing and maturing in the things of God, we're looking and sounding more like Jesus. You agree? We're thinking more like Jesus. We're acting more like Jesus. And yes, even at Walmart, we act like Jesus. Especially at Walmart sometimes. And so we, we ask ourselves, am I growing? Am I, am I changing? So when we say as one of our core values here at the church that growing people change, we might also say this, that born again Christians mature. That born again people mature. And we should see that maturity in our lives. The measure of that maturity is Christ likeness. So back in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, there was... Um, 2000s, there was a phrase, WWJD. Anybody remember this? Anybody want to date themselves from youth group back in the 90s or whatever? And WWJD stood for what would Jesus do? And the idea was like when you're in, in the middle of a situation, a decision has to be made or whatever, I don't know what to do. You would just ask yourself, well, what would Jesus do in this situation? And it was sort of cute and kitschy and they'd make these little bracelets that people would wear. I think some people have tattoos, no shame. If you got a WWJD tattoo, that's all good, right? But it was just to remind yourself that, that if I'm in a situation, I wanna act a lot like Jesus. And it just sort of caused you to consider that. So let's not choose what I want, let's choose what Jesus would want. And so he is the standard, so. All that to say, if we're gonna believe that growing people change, then I want to believe that we can grow together. But therein lies the rub. But how do we grow together? How are we going to grow? How, how are we going to grow spiritually? Well, I have three things that I want to share with you in the time that I have left. And the first is this. Is that remember that your growth is a process. That it is a process. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, that I am sure of this, he said, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That God himself, who's doing the work in you, God is the one who wooed you to, to know his son Jesus. He's the one who gave you faith to believe. He's, he's the one who gave his son Jesus to save you, right? And he's brought you this far to not abandon you to your own accord, but he's actually leading you as well, that he will bring us through. But it is a process. It doesn't just happen overnight. The theological term we would use for this process is something called sanctification, which is real fun to say, isn't it? Sanctification, sounds churchy. Transformation, think transformation, that God is changing us over time. And one of the things I want you to hear, if you take away anything today, it's this, is that you never fully arrive to this level of fullness here on this earth. Like when you die and breathe your last and you get to be in heaven with God forever, then you'll know everything. Or if Jesus would return to earth, right? And then we will be complete, we'll know everything. But until then, it is continual growth. There is no graduation day. We do not flip our tassel from one side to the other and go, aha, maturity, I've made it. It's continual. You get this? And because I'm saying that, you need to be, uh, you need to give yourself a break sometimes is what I'm trying to say. We never fully arrive, but we should be making some progress. And so we cannot be too hard on ourselves. And here's the better one. And you cannot be too hard on others. Because they're trying. And the Spirit of God is inside of them. And he's leading them. 
And he knows even more than you do that 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 behavior is destructive. He knows that and he's helping them with that. And you yelling at them for the umpteenth time is not going to change them. What we need to do is to take stock in the changes that we've made so far and believe that God is in us and working. And so when you you are at Walmart and something happens, because something always happens at Walmart, and you respond in a way that's not Christ-like, you don't walk out of there and go, well, that's it. I give up. I failed again, God. I'm, I'm no good at this Christian stuff. You have to remind yourself that God has taken you so far. This is just a small setback and you get up and you continue, yes? Several years ago, a friend of mine told me a story of when he visited uh, Colorado with his family. They went to, I think, Colorado Springs. Is that where Pikes Peak is? Does anyone know? Anyways, uh, he went to Pikes Peak. Pikes Peak's the tall um, part of mountain in the Rocky Mountains, but it's not the tallest mountain in the Rocky Mountains. There are much taller ones, but Pikes Peak is very popular because you can actually drive to the top, right? You don't have to put on boots or nothing. You can just get in your car and go all the way up to the top. And so this friend of mine was out there with his family, and as they're driving to the top, he decides, I'm going to hike it. Now, I don't know if he knew this or not, but it takes two days typically to get to the top of Pikes Peak. So he set out to go, and he thought he could get there. He's pretty fit. And he's climbing his way to the top, and he's almost there. He can feel it. And he is exhausted, mentally, physically exhausted. And he's coming up to the crest at the top of Pikes Peak, and he's going to go, yeah. And as he gets to the top, he realizes, oh, my gosh, this ain't the top at all. There's a whole other top over there. And he had he just gotten started, and he was so exasperated. And so frustrated, he, he legit turns around and just sits down and puts his, his head in his hands. And he's just, I don't know if I can continue. Like, there's probably two or three, four more hours of hiking. I don't think I have it in me. And he lifts his chin and he looks and he realizes how far he had come. He's looking down the trail that he had traversed and he could see, oh my gosh. Yeah, I know I haven't gotten all the way, but I've done an awful lot today. And, and that for me is a picture of what this value for the church means to us, that growing people change. You change, praise God. You can change. You will change over time. I assure you, you will change. Just remind yourself to every once in a while, turn around and look how far God has taken you. For many, and this is extra, I don't have this in my notes, but for many, it's, it, it means surrounding yourself with people who encourage you and say, dude, you, you can get this. Remember last year when you wanted to strangle that cashier? Remember last year when all of that was happening? You're not like that anymore. This is why some people journal. This is why some people write things down so they can go back and go, man, I have grown. I have grown. All right, are we good? So it's a process and don't be too hard on yourselves and for the love of Christ, do not be too hard on others, especially in this church. Your pastor does not like that. (laughs) I do not like it very much at all. And we walk with grace towards other people. Um, Secondly, and this is the second of three points on how we can grow, is that we can grow because the Holy Spirit is our helper. That this is the second person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, or the third person, whatever you want to say. But he is God and he indwells in us and he can help us. Paul writes Galatians chapter 5, these words. 
But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What he's saying is, the old man, the old person wants to gratify his fleshy desires, but you can walk a different way, and you can do that by the Spirit of God. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. You guys know that. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. And these two are opposed to each other. And they, they, they keep you from doing the things that you want to do. We understand what Paul is saying is that, again, the, God the Father has given us his Holy Spirit to help us, um, to empower us. This would be the language that the Bible would use. Uh, the, the Greek word for the Spirit of God is, is pneuma, the wind or the power of God, that, that God has given us power in his Holy Spirit. This is why we at the church, we believe in the fullness or the baptism of the Holy Spirit that who empowers you who equips you to do a work that you can't do um, on your own. And so if you're a person that's here, and I'll just throw this out there as an aside, if you're a person who's here, who has walked with the Lord for some time, and yet is still struggling in a thing or two, listen, we have grace and help for you. We would love to meet with you after service or something, and we would just pray for you that you would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that he would empower you to overcome those things that you can't overcome. But you do not have to do so on your own. Does everybody agree, right? Maybe this is why you're struggling, because you have been doing it on your own for so long. Now we want to equip you or help you see how the Holy Spirit can help you change. And it is God's will for you. Lastly, the third point is this, is that we can use disciplines, and I don't necessarily like that word per se, but we can use disciplines or spiritual practices to help us. And one of the ways that the Holy Spirit's work is, is worked out in us is by exercising these spiritual disciplines or practices. Now remember this, and this will be important for us, that these spiritual practices, these disciplines, that they are a means to an end, they are not the end. Let me give you an example. So when we go for prayer, this last Tuesday we met for our prayer night from six to seven, and I reminded everyone who gathered that um, prayer is not necessarily um, just the, the goal, so to speak. It, it can be the goal because we're communing with God the Father, but, but prayer oftentimes just gets us close to the Lord. It's just a means that God uses to transform our lives. So we're, when we are communing with God through prayer, when we're seeking his will for our lives and his, his will is transforming us, the, the end is transformation for us. And prayer oftentimes is the vehicle by which God will change us. Okay, so prayer is not the end. Transformation is the end. Prayer is a way. It's one of the disciplines. So our heart here at Renaissance, and I would say it for myself and probably all the staff here as well, is to not get you to do more Christian things. Say, whew, thank you for that. I don't want to do more Christian things, right? I don't want more things to do. But rather, our heart is not just to get you plugged into Ren groups, which we think is important, get you plugged into serving at the church. Listen, guys, you should serve at the church here. It is amazing how many volunteers serve this church. Can I just throw an aside out here real quick? I got time. I asked uh, Christine, she's our children's and family ministries director. I said, how many unique children did we minister to last year in 2022? Like individually, count them all up. How many children made its way through Little Bitty Renaissance's kids program last year? You have any, you want to guess? You can't guess. You'll never get it. I was blown away. Over 300 and I think 50 children came through our, our kids program last year. Unique kids, right? On a given week, we might have 60, 
or 70 on a Sunday downstairs, right? But over the course of the year, we had over 300 and maybe 50 or so kids come through. We could use a whole lot more volunteers is all I'm trying to say. But our goal is to not just get you plugged in to serve, not just get plugged into a rent group, not just to get you plugged in to give and to, to financially support the church, which I think is hugely important. Like we can't do what we do without the support for, of money from you guys and from the staff that we give. Yes, we need all those things, but that's not the end. What God does is he uses those disciplines like serving and giving and praying to transform us. It's the vehicle that God uses to make us into the person he wants us to be. I've shared this story so many times and I just feel like some people need to hear it today. But I'd, I'd been a Christian for a number of years, marginally attending church, occasionally going when my wife and I, we were newlyweds at the time, would arise early enough on a Sunday to make it. And sometimes you wake up early enough and you're like, eh, I'm not going today, right? But when I started to go to church, and when I started getting plugged in, I was a musician and the pastor found out I was a guitar player and you're, you're golden if you play guitar at a church, I'm just saying, right? Or a drummer, oh my gosh, we'll pay you a million dollars to play drums Sundays, right? But they found out I was a musician and so I joined the band or the worship team or whatever. And I'm telling you, I plugged into that team. I got to know people, they knew me. They started telling me when I was drifting off the path that God had for me. Hey, Jeff, I don't think that's where you're supposed to be. Hey, Jeff, I don't, hey, that's right. Or when I, they would encourage me when I do things right. When I got plugged into serving in the church, I got to know more people and hear me, and I cannot oversell this. My life changed. It just changed. I don't need people to serve just because we have serving opportunities. We do. It will transform you. Next week, we'll talk a whole lot more about that. Our desire for you to get plugged into these things, giving, groups, serving, is because it forms you and you begin to look like Jesus. The unfortunate thing about some of these spiritual disciplines is they have pitfalls. That there are some negative aspects and I'll finish with these two things right here. Now one of the pitfalls that we need to avoid in our disciplines and our spiritual practices is this, it's legalism, boo. Boo, legalism, barf, throw up, the whole deal. Church legalism, it's disgusting. We hate it, right? Kent Hughes writes this, for many of the spiritual disciplines means putting oneself back under the law with a series of draconian rules which no one can live up to. <laughs> and this spawns frustration and even spiritual death. That legalism can reduce our spiritual disciplines to a list of just do's and don'ts, and they just become exercises of self-sufficiency. I'm going to do this because I'm strong enough to do this, and we no longer rely upon God to help us. Legalism has this mantra that I'm going to do this to gain merit or favor with God. I'm going to pray because God will pay attention and he'll He'll respond to me. I'm going to give because God will pay attention to me. I'm going to serve because God will pay attention. And you just become legalistic in all of these disciplines. And it's wrong. What we really should be saying is, I'm going to do all of these things because I love God and I want to please him. You see the difference, subtle difference. Legalism, the mind of legalism says, I'm earning from God. But you're not earning from God if your heart is right. The other pitfall is this. And this was maybe my story for a long time. Maybe it's some of you here. It's passivity. 
It's the whole wait and see. So to avoid the appearance of earning, or to avoid the appearance of trying to look like I'm trying to gain favor with God, we just don't do squat. We just sit around. We just let go and let God. Is that the phrase that we put on our bumper stickers? We're just going to let God do all the work. And I wish it were that easy. Like I wish, honestly, you could just take your Bible at night, slide it under your pillow, and by osmosis, it would just leak into your brain. Right? I also wish that happened in chemistry in high school. Anyone? It just doesn't work that way. You work it out. You try it. You, you, you step out in faith and trust and you walk the, the walk that God has for you. And you, you trust when you don't feel like trusting. You have faith when you don't feel like having faith. You have hope when you think everything is hopeless. And in, in doing so and doing all of these things, your life is slowly just transformed. And your faith muscles get stronger, your hope muscles get stronger, and you become more like the person of Christ. And so now when you encounter someone who is a buffoon, there are buffoons in our world. Did you know that? You can all think of one right now, right? Probably in your own family. You might be sitting next to someone. I can help you if you need help. I have a list in my office. Buffoons abound here at the church. These are jokes. I'm just trying to lighten the load a little bit. I'm just trying to help out. I see your faces. You're like, what's happening? Um... So when you encounter someone who just drives you insane, right, the power of God inside of you, you can act like Christ when you didn't think you could. Because you know you're changing and you know God's got them on a journey too and you're going to walk with grace and you're going to do what... You, are, is anyone picking up this at all? That's why growing people change is a value for us. Like we live and, and um, bleed this, if you will. Like this is part of us. We walk with grace. Amen? Amen. So I want you to start today. I don't know what that looks like for you. You know, maybe today you commit on Tuesday night instead of watching the whatever rerun of whatever show you watch on Netflix. You come to our Tuesday night prayer uh, meeting. We're doing 21 days of fasting and prayer. We're not going to be meeting Tuesday night for the rest of the year. But for this Tuesday and the next Tuesday, we're meeting at 6 o'clock right here. And know this, when you call a prayer meeting at a church, you'll have 300 people in a room and seven show up for prayer meeting. But that's all we need is seven. Maybe you'll be the eighth person, the 20th person that'll show up this week. Maybe now you're going to lean into the thing that God is calling you into. And you're going to do so by just practicing the self-practice or self-discipline of getting up and going. And in so doing, God will come over and he'll come in and he'll start to just transform you in those things. Just put yourself in front of those disciplines is all I'm saying. I can't persuade you to do them. I can't convince you to do them. But I know God and he has a better plan for you. 100%. 100%. He has got a life for you. In Jesus' words, is full. It's the fullness of life. It's what we want. Amen? All right, so let's pray together. Lord, thank you for our time. God, would you continue to bless us and to help us grow? We know that we do this not um, only on our own, that we partner with you in everything that you do in our life. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd come and empower us and you'd equip us and you would guide us, that we can have the mind of Christ, that our minds can be renewed, that the, the desires of our own lives can be pushed aside and the desires of God can come through. And we are thankful for that. We know that we can have the fullness 
the full measure of Christ in our lives. Lord, you would not dangle that in front of us if it were not attainable. And so we, tr we desire to be like that, Lord. Cause us to grow in the way of Christ. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 